بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يحده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار So alhamdulillah today we begin uh, a new series of lessons which inshallah ta'ala will be based around a uh, compilation of poetry which has been ascribed to the great scholar and imam Sheikh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala and this line of poetry or this compilation of poetry uh, was something that was mentioned uh, by the scholar of Iraq called uh, Nu'man al-Alusi Nu'man al-Alusi and Nu'man al-Alusi was from a family of scholars from Iraq uh, with this laqab, uh, with this title, Al-Alusi. And from them you'll know, you, you'll probably heard of the tafsir called Ruhul Ma'ani. Ruhul Ma'ani is a tafsir written by a scholar from this family. And he was from, from this particular family. And Nu'man Al-Alusi, rahimahullah, he was actually a Hanafi. And he was affiliated to the Maturidi school of thought. And he wrote a book, and this book is called Jala'ul Aynain Fi Muhakamatil Ahmadain, which is a book in which he has taken the allegations made by a scholar by the name of Al Haythami, or Al Haythami, different ways of, of mentioning that name. And these were allegations that were made. By Ahmed, this, this scholar whose name is Ahmed as well, Al Haythami, he made allegations towards Shaykh al Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah. And so, this scholar, who is a very just, an honest and just scholar, he wrote a book to investigate those allegations, even though he is a Hanafi, Maturidi. And so, he took all of the allegations maybe 15, 20 allegations, and he dedicated a chapter to each specific allegation. And so, alhamdulillah, this, this shaykh, rahimahullah, he supported shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, in the majority of those issues, in almost all of those issues, and exonerated him from the allegations that were made from him, and showed the injustice of the other, the other scholar. So anyway, the point being that this piece of poetry this compilation of poetry that you have with you, was something that was mentioned by this scholar in this particular book. And there is some questions as to, is it, is it truly attributed to Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah? And the, there are some scholars who affirm it, it, it is authentic to Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. And there are some other scholars who have some questions and observations and deny that it is firmly established to Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. So from those scholars is... Uh, who established it for Sheikh Al-Samtimi is Al-Alusi as we mentioned. Likewise, the Sheikh 
he wrote a book in which he compiled all of the authentic lines of poetry ascribed to Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, which was called As-Sahih min al-Nadhim al-Fasih li Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. And within this book, he included this particular compilation of poetry. Likewise, we see that from those scholars who considered, considered it to be authentic is the Sheikh Abdul Aziz bin Nasir al-Rashid, he was a scholar who did a commentary upon one of the other books of Shaykh al-Islam, his famous books called Al-Aqidatul Wasitiyah. The Shaykh is from the scholars of the Da'wah, and he wrote a commentary upon that book, and he also made mention of it and considered, considered it to be ascribed to Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. Also from those, uh, Shaykh Salih al-Suhimi, uh, sorry, he's one of the con- contemporary scholars, and he wrote a explanation, which is what we're going to go through, inshallah ta'ala, in this series of lessons. So, Sheikh Salih Suhimi from the contemporary scholars. And likewise, Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan, hafizahullah ta'ala, he made some notes upon a book, uh, a book that was published, which contains an explanation by another scholar from two centuries ago. And Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan, he made some notes upon that book. So it obviously indicates that he considers this poetry to be ascribed to Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. And this book is written by an author by the name of Ahmed bin Abdullah al-Mardawi. And he's from two centuries ago. He's a Hanbali sheikh. And he wrote a book, which is one of the books that we're going to be using also for the explanation. And he indicated that Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan had made some notes on an earlier print, on an earlier print that was published of this particular book. So from all of this we gather that we see that there are, are a collection of scholars that we mentioned, all of whom consider that this poetry is indeed ascribed and attributable, attributable to Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. There are some other scholars with whom it is not established that it is ascribed to Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah like Sheikh Ibn Thaymeen, rahimahullah, and there are some others who also uh, say that there isn't firmly established evidence. There are some discussions that go backward and forward. So we mentioned this at the beginning just so that we're clear, so that we're clear that regarding this uh, line of this compilation of poetry, that there are some issues, ongoing investigation, ongoing studies as to the authenticity of this uh, poetry to Ibn Taymiyyah. But there is no doubt that Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, he, it is found, uh, quoted uh, in, his, in, in some of his works. There are pieces of it which are quoted and found in some of his works. And we see that many of these scholars have considered it to be established to him. So this is the first issue that we wanted to, to mention. So therefore, in the handout that you have, just to, uh, be, just to make an observation upon this fact, this is why we put the title, Lamiya attributed to Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, just so that we... Uh, you know, keeping within the confines of what is the current state of affairs regarding the the, the ascription to Sheikh Islam Taymiyyah. So this is the first issue that you should be aware of. Second issue is that this poetry is very short, very simple. It consists of 16 lines of poetry and it is called the Lamiya, the Lamiya because every single line of poetry ends in a Lam. And this is you see, when you look in history, you will see that many of the scholars, may Allah have mercy upon them, they would compile 
lines of poetry that would end in a certain letter, like the Nuniya of Ibn al-Qayyim. Likewise, the Ha'iyya. Ibn Taymiyyah has a poetry called the Ha'iyya, uh, which uh, is in relation to, and there's also a Ra'iyya. So there are many which ends in Ra. And so there are many of these lines of compilations of poetry which are found in history, and we see that these scholars have compiled these lines of poetry in order to beautify and embellish and to adorn and to present the aqidah of Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah. And so this poetry is, as, as I said, one of many compilation, compilations of poetry which vary in length and, and size. And so we see that Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah, what they do for the benefit of those who come after them, is they write works, they make compilations, they write refutations, the right lines of poetry, and all of this is a means of preserving and protecting this aqidah, which is the foundation of our deen, this aqidah of Islam, this aqidah of Tawheed, the foundations of Iman, the pillars of Iman, and all the issues that branch off and connect to them, that this is from the signs and manifestations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserving his deen. Because this deen, unlike all of the other adyan, the deen of the Jews, the deen of the Christians, the deen of the Sabi'ah, the deen of all of those who came before, that it wasn't, it wasn't the case that they will remain and last forever. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Muhammad as the final seal of the messengers. And from the, from the implications of this belief that we have, that Muhammad is the seal of the messengers, from the implications and consequences of this belief, of Muhammad being the seal of the messenger, is that his message will be preserved and intact. And from the greatest of that which is from his message, is this aqidah. This aqidah, which was the aqidah of all the previous prophets. This same aqidah was the aqidah of Adam salam, was the aqidah of Nuh salam, was the aqidah of Musa salam, Ibrahim, and all of the, the, the prophets of Bani Israel, the aqidah of Isa salam. And the Aqidah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this, this Aqidah is the one and the same Aqidah. So therefore, as Allah says in the Qur'an, and, and we find mentioned uh, in the Qur'an, that Allah will preserve the Qur'an, and Allah is safeguarding the Qur'an. And likewise we see that the Sunnah of the Messenger is a safeguard for the meanings of the Qur'an. And likewise we see that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum are a safeguard for the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and they are a safeguard for this aqidah, then we see that from the way of the scholars who inherited it generation after generation, that they would write in summarization or in defense or in protection. They would write lines of poetry like this. And you see that there are thousands and thousands of lines of poetry scattered in the books of aqidah of old. And you see, you see, them, see them quoted. So... So this is the first issue that we should be aware of. And as for the poetry itself, then the poetry makes mention of maybe seven or eight, maybe, maybe up to ten different issues of belief that we are familiar with. So from those issues of belief which are mentioned is concerning our aqidah regarding the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum, the virtues of the Sahaba, the lofty station of the Sahaba. And likewise, issues regarding the Qur'an, the Qur'an being a revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it being the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and likewise issues regarding the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, 
and believing them in the way that the Sahaba used to believe in them. And likewise, issues pertaining to belief in seeing Allah on Yawmul Qiyamah. The believers seeing Allah on Yawmul Qiyamah. And likewise, that Allah descends to the lowest heaven every night, at the last third of every night. And likewise, issues of belief in the Mizan and the Hawd, the Hawd, the pool of the Prophet ﷺ, which are from the affairs of the hereafter. And likewise, belief in paradise and hellfire and Al-Qadr. Belief in Al-Qadr and the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in punishing and rewarding. And finally, believing in the punishment of the grave and then establishing that this is the belief of the likes of Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah and Imam Ahmed and Abu Hanifa and Imam Malik rahimahumullah that all of this is their creed. And that whoever takes this path in this way that he is a muwahid and whoever doesn't then he you know, he's someone who has innovated and who has left that way. So this is the essence of what this poetry actually uh, contains. So let's begin then and we will start with the speech of Sheikh Salih al-Suhimi Hafizahullah Ta'ala and we start with the first line and in the first line you see Ya Sa'ili an madhhabi wa aqidati ruzika al-huda man lil-hidayati yas'alu and so the meaning of this poetry of this first line is that Ibn Taymiyyah is saying O one O one who asks, who is asking me, O you who is asking me about my madhab, my way, and about my aqidah, my creed and my belief, رُزِقَ الْحُدَى مَنْ لِلْحِدَايَةِ يَسْأَلُ That he is bestowed with guidance, who actually asks for guidance. The one who asks for guidance, he will be bestowed and provided with guidance. So this is the translation. And so we begin with the uh, speech of Sheikh Salih Sahimi, Ta'ala. So he begins by saying, or he makes an indication, and this is actually a lecture he gave, which has been transcribed. And so in this lecture, the Sheikh began by saying, after praising Allah and seeking his aid and forgiveness, that some of the brothers asked him to explain this particular uh, poetry in a couple of days, a day and a night. And so the Shaykh mentions that this is the Qasida or the poetry compilation of Ibn Taymiyyah, which comprises some of the issues of Aqidah as we mentioned. It is about 16 lines of poetry. And the Shaykh says, maybe we'll try to complete this explanation in maybe a, a day or two. And then the Shaykh mentions that to study the books of the Salaf, to study the books of the Salaf, and to study the texts, the standardized texts that are, that are found amongst Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah, that this has great and mighty benefits. It has great and mighty benefits. And it is something that brings a student of knowledge. It ties him and it connects him to the Sunnah and to the guidance of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It is for this reason that we see that the scholars of Islam, of the Sunnah, and who are upon the way of the Salaf, that they always and, and constantly revolve around the likes of these texts. And these texts, we are, when we speak of these texts, we mean those texts that were written by the scholars throughout all the different ages, 
Like, for example, the text written by uh, Imam Ahmad, Usul Sunnah, and Imam Al Tabari, Sarih Sunnah. And likewise, Al Barbahari, Sharh Sunnah. These are names, books, name, names of books that we're familiar with. And likewise, throughout all the ages, the books of Ibn Taymiyyah, the Aqidah al Tahawiyah, and the books of Ibn Taymiyyah, Al Wasitiyah, Al Hamawiyah, Al Tadmuriyah. And likewise, the books of Shaykh al-Islam, Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab, on the topics of At-Tawheed, Kashf al-Shubahat, Kitab al-Tawheed, Al-Qawad al-Arba. And likewise, certain lines of poetry that we find from them, which is this line of poetry, and likewise what is written by uh, Ibn al-Qayyim. And many other scholars, we see that the, the scholars of Ahl-Sunnah constantly always revolve around these texts. Why is this? The reason is because to give you a, a quick analogy, the analogy is basically like if you have a ship which doesn't have an anchor, and this ship will be tossed in every direct direction. It will be led, and you know, in every direction because it doesn't have something with, which holds it down and keeps it in place. And so, these books and these texts that we study and that we revolve around and we constantly go through all the time, all the time, and re- remind ourselves of. This has the effect of being like an anchor. It is something that gives that gives someone stability and st- support and firmness. And without this, you see that a person is slowly, slowly, slowly because knowledge of this deen is such that a, that a, or the believer is such that he always forgets. It's easy to forget. Shubahat come to him. Ignorance comes to him. He forgets. Just naturally, he forgets. And so because of all of these factors, it is from the, the, the natural tendency of a person to forget and to have shubahat, doubts, misconceptions enter into his knowledge. And for that reason, we see that from the way of Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah, specifically those who are upon the way of the Salaf, is the, that they have a constant revolvement around these books of Aqidah. Not for a single hour, or minute, or day, or week do they ever lose sight of the fact that in these books... And in these texts is something that lies the safety and the purity and the protection of a Muslim's belief. And in this regard, we see that the people of the Sunnah are distinguished from all of the groups and the jama'at that you find that are present today, who claim to be working in the field of da'wah. And they're not really truly working in the field of da'wah, rather they have innovated methodologies, they have innovated programs. And they themselves are upon the very beliefs, the very ideologies and beliefs that split the ummah in the first place. So you will see amongst these jama'at and these groups, whatever they call themselves, jama'atu tabligh Hizb al-Tahrir, al-Muhajirun, Ikhwanul Muslimin, or whatever names they give themselves, amongst them you will find those who are upon the beliefs of the Jahmiyyah, those who are upon the beliefs of the Rafida, those who are upon the beliefs of the, Su- the heretical Sufis, the extreme Sufis. Those are upon the beliefs of the, uh, the Qadariya, and so on, and so on, and so on, and, and so forth. This is because the concern of these groups isn't Aqidah. It isn't to establish the correct and sound Aqidah. Rather, they have other specific goals unique to each and individual party. So the Jama'at al-Tabliq, their goal is to bring you to the Madhab of Abu Hanifa, and bring you to the Ra'i, the Ra'i, the opinion, which is found in the Hanafi Madhab, and to bring you to the Maturidi Aqidah. And the Ikhwan al-Muslimin, 
the aim is to gather you into a mass and a lump and then use you and employ you, your body, as means of a revolution, fermenting a revolution. And likewise with Hizb al-Tahrir, likewise with all these political parties and groups, they have an objective which isn't the objective for which the prophets and messengers were sent, which was to correct the beliefs of the people which had gone astray regarding Allah, His names, His attributes, and to make all of ibadah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And for that reason, it is from the distinguishing features and characteristics of Ahlul Sunnah, those who follow the way of Imam Ahmad and Abu Hanifa and Imam Shafi and Imam, Imam Malik and Sufyan al-Thawri and Imam al-Awza'i and all of the notable scholars of the first uh, three centuries, that from their way is that they have a constant attention to these books and these texts. And they never ever get bored of speaking about Allah's names and attributes. Or speaking about the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or speaking about the virtues of the sahaba. Or speaking about paradise, hellfire, belief in the unseen, the hawd, the shifa'ah. They never ever get bored of these kind of affairs. And we see, and this is found, and I've met people. You come across these people and they claim to be upon salafiyyah. And they really have a type of jahl which Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab mentions in his book Kashf al-Shubahat. I'll mention that statement in, in, in a short while. But I've come across people and they say that, while, that when, we, when we go through books and we finish one particular book and then we begin another book, so we, let's say we finish a book on Tawheed, then we start another book on Aqidah, then we finish this book, then we move to another book, and, another, uh, on, on. and then they say, but we've, we've studied all this, we understand all this already. But we know all this. But we understand all this. And so this disease here that we see, Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab, he alludes to this in his book, Kashf al-Shubuhat. And he says along the line, he says something along the lines, is that from the greatest, uh, from the greatest jahl, from the greatest of jahl, is the saying of a person, At-Tawheed fahimnahu. Or he says, At-Tawheed arafnahu, afahimnahu. One of those two he says. That from the greatest elements of jahl is that a person comes along and he says, We know Tawheed. We know what Tawheed is. We understand what Tawheed is. Why is this from the greatest of jahl? Why is it from the greatest of jahl to make this remark? It is from the greatest of jahl to make this remark because Tawheed isn't something that is just understood. Tawheed is something that a person, he implements, he practices. It is something that, that if he's not careful, then shirk, minor or major, can easily enter into him and he can easily fall into that. And from the greatest of signs of this is that Ibrahim, والسلام, who is the greatest of the messengers of Allah after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And you see how Allah has described him in the Qur'an, that he was Hanif, the upright one, that he was an ummah, meaning a nation in and of himself, that he was uh, from the Muslimin, he wasn't from the Mushrikeen. And we see that in the, in the Qur'an, Ibrahim Islam, he makes a dua, he says, Oh Allah, oh my Lord, make me and my offspring to be far and remote from that we should worship idols. How can it be that Ibrahim salam is making a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect him and his offspring from the worship of idols? 
Yet he is Ibrahim, the Hanif, the one who submits to Allah upon Tawheed. How can, why is this? And from the benefits that the scholars mentioned from this ayah in the Quran, is that shirk, falling into shirk, is something that every single individual is susceptible to. No one can escape unless he is protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Unless he is saved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Unless he is given this support by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so therefore, when we see people coming along and they're saying, we understand Tawheed, we know Aqeedah, we know this, we know that, this indicates that there is a, a sickness or a disease in the heart of such a person. Because maybe he's seeking, his heart doesn't find pleasure. His heart doesn't find serenity and calmness. His heart doesn't find further strengthening and the giving of yaqeen, further yaqeen, when he goes through a book on Aqidah, a book on Tawheed, a book on you know, these kind of topics. So my dear brothers and sisters, we see that the scholars of the Sunnah never ever ever do they tire, or never ever do they ever deflect away from constantly focusing again and again and again and again upon the likes of these types of texts. Even if we study the same topics over and over and over again, Iman, Al-Qadr, the Sahaba, belief in the unseen, the angels and so on and so forth. Why? Because this is something that every Muslim, he needs exposure to all the time. It is the foundation of his relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So once we understand this point, once we understand and we, we really grasp this point that the Shaykh mentioned here, that the study of the books of the Salaf and the Mutun, the Sharia texts, that it has fawaid adima. It has great and mighty benefits. And it is something that ties a student of knowledge with the Sunnah, with the guidance of the Prophet Muhammad And that's why there is such a revolvement around these types of texts, because it has a great benefit for the Muslims generally, and for the student of knowledge specifically. And so then, the uh, person who is reciting the uh, poetry, he begins by uh, mentioning... After sending salat and salam upon the Prophet ﷺ, he says that this is a qasida fahadihi qasidatul the Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. That this is the qasida, the compilation of poetry of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. And it is a flower from the ripe flowers of his garden. So this poetry is essentially one of the flowers of many of the ripe flowers from the garden of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. And he says that this is something by which a person can smell the fragrance. They, you know, So that Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah can smell the fragrance and the beneficial effects of this flower from the flowers of the garden of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. And he says, but at the same time, just like it is a flower and of benefit to Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, it is also a thorn and a needle to the, uh, in the throats of Ahlul Bida'i wal Dalal. And this is because even as we know, even the Qur'an, as Allah says about the Qur'an, the Qur'an for the believers, it is huda, it is guidance and shifa and healing. But to the kuffar and munafiqeen, what is it? It is something that you know leads them. It is something that is uh, leads them further astray in their misguidance and their wandering and their blindness because it, it doesn't guide them. So, so likewise, we see here that this 
Compilation of poetry for Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah, it is something that is guidance and light and fragrance. It guides them and it illuminates them. And for Ahlul Bida'i wal Dalal, those who do not take their creed from the Quran and the Sunnah and the understanding of the Sahaba, rather they take it from something else, from Ilmul Kalam and from Falsafa and from Ra'i, from opinion and Hawa and desire, then when they read the likes of this, it is something that enrages them. It is something that, you know, it is, it is a thorn and a needle in their throats. And so in this poetry, Shaykh al-Islam Taymiyyah, he announces openly the belief of Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah. So he begins by saying, as we said, the first line of poetry, Ya sa'ili an madhhabi wa aqidati, ruziqal huda man lil hidayati yas'alu. So we see from this, which translates as, O oh, one who asks about my madhab, my way, and my aqidah, certainly the one who asks for guidance will be bestowed with guidance. So the Shaykh Salih Suhaimi, he comments, he says, that here, Shaykh al-Islam, rahimahullah, is addressing his Muslim brothers. Because clearly, this line of poetry indicates that he was asked by somebody, or by a group of people to write and explain the Aqidah, so that they may believe in the same Aqidah. And this we see occurred frequently with Shaykh al-Islam ibn Allah because his book Al-Wasitiyah was written with the same, because the same thing happened. His book Al-Hamawiyah was written because the same thing happened. Some people asked him from a certain region to you know, explain the creed, Al-Tadmuriyah. So we see that all of these books written by Shaykh al-Islam we see that they were in response to people asking, what should we believe? And what would the Salaf were upon? And what is the, in what lies safety? And so on and so forth. And in what lies the protection from doubts? And so likewise, this compilation of poetry, Ibn Taym, uh, in, 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 in opening the first lines, he addresses the one who asked him, O oh, oh, oh you who asks about my mother and Aqidah. And uh, the Shaykh says that we see that often, Many people, they may have doubts. There may be doubts. And especially those people who are put to trial by deviations in the aqidah. And they fall into innovations. And sometimes even they may fall into shirk. And so here, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah has intended to explain to them his belief. What is his belief? What has he inherited from, you know, what is, what is, what is he taken from the way of the salaf? So that it might become clear to them, those people, that what he believes, what he is explaining, is in agreement with the guidance of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So the intent then is that in this poetry, Ibn Taymiyyah is going to clarify what is it, what is his aqidah. And also a point which is made by the other explainer regarding this poetry, Ruziqal Huda Man Lil Hidayati Yasalu, that the one Shaykh Rasulullah says, the one who asks for guidance, he is bestowed with guidance. This is Ibn Taymiyyah making dua for the people who asked him. Because this, the mention of this is also a supplication at the same time. So when Ibn Taymiyyah says, O oh, he who has come, who, who asks me about my madhab and aqidah, indeed, the one who asks for guidance, he will be bestowed with guidance. Essentially, Ibn Taymiyyah is making dua for the person or the group who came and asked him to explain his aqidah to them. And so then, the Shaykh says, Al-Aqidah, what is Aqidah? What is this word Aqidah? What does it mean? He says, Aqidah is anything 
that the heart binds firmly to. Anything that binds tightly to the heart, it is called an aqidah. Irrespective of whether it is good or bad. Because the word aqidah in and of itself doesn't indicate that something is true or false. So, for example, the Jews have an aqidah. The Christians have an aqidah. The Buddhists have an aqidah. The atheists and materialists, they have an aqidah. Aqidah simply means anything that is bound and tied to the heart. So even the atheist, the mulhid, the dahri, he has an aqidah as well. Everybody has an aqidah. So the word aqidah is simply that which the heart is tied and binds fast to. So this means that aqidah, an aqidah can be fasida. It can be corrupt and evil. It can be batil. It can be corrupt and evil and false. And likewise, an aqidah can be true, truthful. And so for this reason, we, we, what we are interested in is what is the sound, correct, Sunni, Salafi, Athari, Aqidah, that the deen of Islam, that the, 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 the Sahaba were upon, and that the, the scholars of Islam were upon. This is what we are pursuing. This is what we want to know. This is what we want to make sure that our hearts are embracing this specific Aqidah in all of its details. And anyone who turns away from this, then this person is upon khurafa, he's upon deviation, and he's upon bid'a and dalala. And so therefore the goal of every single Muslim is that he should be asking, what was it that the Sahaba believed? What was it that the Imams were upon? What was it that they said regarding Al-Qadr? What was it that they said regarding Allah's attributes? What was it that they said regarding Allah being seen in the hereafter? This is how every Muslim ought to be thinking. If every Muslim was to think like this, then inshallah by Allah's mercy, he would be guided to that which is correct. If he was thinking, if he was truly thinking like this, and he was seeking and pursuing that which is correct. So then the shaykh explains that the madhab, well madhab, what is the madhab? A madhab is simply a way that a person follows, a way or a path that a person follows. What path is he following in fiqh, in the issues in, of jurisprudence, in suluk, in his behavior, in his ta'amul, in the way he deals with other people, in his ibadah, in his worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the rulings, in the ahkam, in the hudud. So this madhab is simply a way and a path which is followed. What way and path are you following in all of these affairs? In the, in the issue of fiqh and ibadah and suluk and mu'amala and so on and so forth. This is simply means a way that a man is following. And for that reason, we sometimes use the expressions, we might say that the madhab of the salaf is such and such. Or the, or the madhab of Imam Ahmed is such and such. Or the madhab of Imam al-Shafi is such and such. And what we mean by this is that this is the way of Imam al-Shafi. This is what Imam al-Shafi was upon in this particular issue, or in this particular matter, in terms of his belief, or in terms of his statement, or in terms of his action. And so therefore, a believer, as we said, that he is someone who seeks and pursues what was the madhab of the sahaba, what was the madhab of the imams of the sunnah, what was the aqidah, then he doesn't deviate from it, even to the extent of a fingertip. Not even a fingertip, forget even a handspan, not even a fingertip does he you know, deviate away from that. Rather he bites onto it with his molars to the best of his ability. So after this, mentioning this opening, uh, these opening few points Then the Shaykh Hafizahullah He mentions that Shaykh al-Islam Who is he? He is Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah Rahimahullah 
He died in the year 728 Hijrah, which is eight centuries, eight centuries after Hijrah, in the eighth century after Hijrah. And Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he was present in a very unique time, in a very unique juncture in Islamic history. And for us to truly appreciate the benefit that Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah has brought to this ummah, and in terms of all of the books that he wrote, and the groups of innovation which he refuted, we have to appreciate and understand the time, the specific time that Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah was actually born and lived in. And this was a time, this was a time in the 8th century when we see that those groups and sects which emerged in the 2nd and 3rd and 4th centuries of Islam, there were many sects as you know, in the 1st century of Islam, there were the Khawarij, the Rafida, the Murjia, the Qadariya, they were the four foundational sects which occurred in the 1st century of Islam. Then in the 2nd century of Islam came the poison of Ilmul Kalam, which is speaking about Allah, His names, His attributes, using the tools and language of Greek philosophy. This came into the Ummah in the 2nd century after Islam. And then there were groups which appeared who adopted this as their way. The Mu'tazila, the Jahmiya, the Kullabiya, the Karramiya, the Ash'ariya, the Maturidiya. They took this way and they developed schools of thought. And then because of political factors and social factors and political factors, these schools of thought, they began to spread and acquire dominance and strength. And then we had other elements that came in from the Batiniya, those who desired to demolish Islam from within. And they came and they brought philosophy to merge it with Islam. In the 4th century, in the 5th century, and they came and they established in Egypt, and they established a state in Egypt. And so all of these things were taking place in the centuries before Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah that he came, the, before, before he came. And what happened is that these people, these people, after the Imams of the Sunnah had strength, because in the 2nd and 3rd and the 4th centuries of Islam, we know that the people of Sunnah had strength in the various lands. But from the 5th and the 6th century, this situation turned. And we saw that the people of Bida, from the Ahlul Kalam, and from the, the people of Kalam mainly, that they gained strength in all the various Muslim lands. So there are reasons that explain, there are historical reasons which explain why actually this was the case. And so Ibn Taymiyyah, he came at a time when the way of the Salaf wasn't really known to many people, even to the ulama, to the scholars in that time. There were many scholars who were born, and they acquired knowledge of the hadith and the athar. But they acquired knowledge of these affairs at a time when those who were in the prominent positions were Ash'aris, people of Kalam, people of Tasawwuf, and so on and so forth. And so they acquired knowledge in this type of setting. And they didn't truly understand, and they didn't truly have a connection with what the Salaf were actually upon. And people like Imam al-Nawi, Imam al-Qurtubi, even Ibn Hajr, who came after Ibn Taymiyyah, he was of this category of, of people. Uh, they, lived, they came in this time. And so the way of the Salaf wasn't something that was really known. So Ibn Taymiyyah, he came, and as you may or may not know, that Ibn Taymiyyah was someone who had amassed an amazing library of books. He inherited books. He was someone who, if he didn't have a book, 
he would borrow it and write the whole book by hand. And as a result of this, and books would come to him, as a result of this, he amassed thousands and thousands of books to such a degree that the scholars today explain that there is hardly a book that Ibn, Ibn, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Al-Qayyim that, you know, from the Salaf, except that they would have knowledge of it. And so one of the signs that they, that they, that they, that they use or that to establish that a book was in existence is if, if Ibn Taymiyyah mentioned it in any of his books. Right? So this is how they find lost books of, from, from the time of the Salaf. So Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, he acquired, he inherited the knowledge of the books of, that were written by the Salaf of you know, the books of Imam al-Darami and the books of you know, all the refutations that were written, he acquired them, they came to him. And from that he acquired knowledge of what happened to the Ummah, of all of these innovations, where they came from. And he managed to know and understand the actual opinions of every single group and sect. Because not only did he read the books of Ahlus Nati wal Jama'ah, of the Salaf, he looked into the books. The books came to so he read the books of the Asha'ira. He read the books of the the Maturidiya. He read the books of the, all of the, the innovators and their, their figureheads, those who were writing and promoting their false beliefs. And from that he acquired an amazing encyclopedic knowledge about every single group, every single faction, to such a degree that Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, he said, he says in one of his books, that there is no innovator who innovated a bid'ah except that I know his name. I know who it was who originated that specific bid'ah. And what land, what land he was in. This is a statement mentioned from Ibn Taymiyyah in one of, one of his works. And so when Ibn Taymiyyah came in that period in the 7th and 8th centuries, then he did, or what he did is that he wrote and he defended and he revived, the, he, he basically connected the latter part of this ummah from the 8th century onwards. He re-established the connection back to the way of the Salaf. So it's as if he tied the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th and whatever comes afterwards, he tied it back to the 3rd century after Islam or the 4th century after Islam. He made that connection back. Why? Because through him we came to know of all, many of the books that were written by the Imams of the Salaf. We came to know of many of those books that we didn't otherwise have knowledge of. So therefore we see this connection was re-established between the first three generations and with what came after the 8th century by way of what Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah did, by way of his jihad in writing, defending, clarifying, explaining, refuting, and as a result of which he suffered a great deal of harms. He was imprisoned, he was oppressed, he was attacked, he was maligned. Why? Because he refuted every single faction. He refuted the philosophers. He demolished and destroyed them. He refuted Aristotle, Plato, and all of those from this ummah, or who ascribed to this ummah, who were using their philosophies from the, uh, the Mutafalsifa, Ibn Sina, and Al-Farabi, and other than them. He destroyed all of them. He destroyed them in such a way that, that in fact, he annihilated the very foundations of all of Western civilization today, which are, which are basically the philosophy of the Greeks. So he demolished them. He demolished the Bataniyya. The group I mentioned in the 4th, 5th century who came in order to demolish Islam. He destroyed the Ahlul Kalam in all of their different factions. The Ash'aris, the, the, the Mu'tazila, the Jahmiya, the Karramiya. He didn't leave any single one of them. The Salimiya, no matter how obscure they were, he demolished all of them. He demolished the arguments of the Qadriya, the Jabariya, the Jahmiya, uh, the Khawarij. Not a single, he demolished the, the belief of the Christians. He annihilated them. Al-Jawab al-Sahih. 
لِمَنْ بَدَّلَ دِينَ الْمَسِيحِ right? Not a single fraction except that he refuted them all. Whether they are from Islam or whether they are not from Islam. And by way of that, by way of all of his books, he re-established, he made that connection again to the Tawheed of the Messengers and the Aqeedah that the Sahaba were upon. And so therefore when we are reading or when we are studying these texts from Ibn Taymiyyah or when we are reading his books like Wasitiyah and Al-Hamawiyah and Al-Tadmuriyah and when we are reading his works like you know, Minhaj Sunnah which is a refutation of the Rafida or we, read, we are reading uh, Al-Tis'iniyah or many Dar Ta'arud many of these are the famous books that we have what we are seeing is we are, we are seeing a clarification and a purification of the Aqidah of Islam in that critical juncture in the 8th century when all of the groups of Bidah had, you know, they had domination, they had strength, they had clout, they had the leaders on their side. And so this is what we see Ibn Taymiyyah doing at that critical juncture in time. So as the Shaykh says here, that Ibn Taymiyyah, he died in the year of 728 Hijrah, and his jihad is ma'roof. Ma'roofun bi jihadihi, bi lisanihi. That he's known with his jihad by way of his tongue, and by way of his pen, and by way of his soul, uh, his, his, uh, you know, his self, his soul. And likewise, he participated in the jihad against the Tatars and the Mongols when they came across the Muslim lands. And he defended the aqidah. He affirmed the aqidah of the Salaf. And he demolished the doubts of the, those, who, you know, those who brought those doubts. So his pen was an un, you know, it was like basically uh, something that was quick and rapid against, uh, you know, and, and something that, you know, by which he wrote many, many books. And as a result of which the Aqidah and the Manhaj of Ahl-Sunnati wal-Jama'ah became straightened and corrected in the affairs of Aqidah and Fiqh and Saluk and so on and so forth. And so this was, this is Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah So then, so this is about Ibn Taymiyyah. And then the Shaykh, he says that after Ibn Taymiyyah, he mentions this opening line of poetry. He then said that the one who seeks fiqh in the religion, any person who seeks guidance, any person who, who wants to be guided, that he is the one who will be guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah will guide him to the aqidah of the Salaf al-Salih. And so long as he asks about it, and he holds on to it with his molars, and he binds to it, and he proceeds upon it, then he is someone who will be upon this particular path. And then the Shaykh mentions an ayah in the Quran, الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلِيهِمْ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّيقِينَ وَالشُّحُدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ وَحَسُنَ أُولَٰئِكَ رَفِيقًا That those whom Allah has bestowed upon his favor from the prophets, and the Siddiqeen, those who are truthful in word, speech, belief, and deed, and the shuhuda, the martyrs, and the salihin, the righteous, all of those are the best in company. Best company. <coughs> Surah An-Nisa, Surah 4, verse 69. And then the Shaykh mentions that whoever deviates and swerves away from this way, then he is someone who is following a path other than the path of the believers. Then he mentions an ayah, وَمَنْ يُشَاقِكِ الرَّسُولَ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُ الْهُدَى وَيَتَّبِعْ غَيْرَ سَبِيلِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ that whoever contends and disputes with the messenger after guidance has been plainly conveyed to him and he follows a path other than the path of the believers who are the Sahaba then we shall leave him in the path he has chosen 
and land him in hell or roast him in hell. What an evil refuge. Surah An-Nisa, Surah 4, verse 115. And then the Shaykh mentions a line of poetry in which the poet said, فَإِنَّ كُلَّ خَيْرٍ فِي إِتِبَاءِ مَنْ سَلَفْ وَكُلَّ شَرٍ فِي إِتِبَاءِ مَنْ خَلَفْ That indeed every good lies in following of who, who, who preceded, meaning the, those who came before from the righteous salaf. And every evil lies in following the one who came in the khalaf, meaning those who came afterwards. So those who came first, the sahaba, all goodness lies in following them. And those who came after them, those who came after the sahaba, and they innovated and they brought kalam and many of these other innovations into the ummah, then every evil lies in following them. And so this brings an end to the Shaykh's commentary upon the first line of poetry. Inshallah, we'll end our lesson today here, because the time for Maghrib has entered. And so just to summarize then, we've really just come into the introduction of this poetry. And what we should take away from this lesson is that we should understand that the personality of Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, that you know, when we study the life and the writings of Ibn Taymiyyah, that there is a much wider context that we need to look at and observe and understand from which we gain many, many different benefits uh, in, in the things that we study, uh, historical benefits and benefits in Aqidah and benefits in just really understanding the way and the, 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 the manhaj and the methodology of Ahl-Sunti wal-Jama'ah. And so in the next lesson, inshallah ta'ala, we hope to make a start on the first issue of belief, uh, which is regarding the, 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 the position towards the Sahaba radiyallahu ta'ala anhum. So with that, inshallah, we conclude uh, today's lesson. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa shidwan la ilaha illa ant wa astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Time for prayer, inshallah.